So the new Halo game came out like almost a year ago now. It's mm-hmm. called Halo Infinite. It's the sixth one. Okay. I think you played through four with me and you never played the fifth one. I don't think me. so. But the sixth one, which is called Halo Infinite, which is confusing because you'd think it'd be eight you'd make infinite because the infinity sign oh. sideways. But anyway, it came out, but I wouldn't play it because it didn't come out with cooperative campaigns. So that's like what we always did, right? Right, right, right. So they finally just released like the beta for the cooperative campaign and we played the other we played two days ago. I didn't play. My buddies. I don't remember playing. Well, then get on your Xbox and play with me. Right, you can right. play anytime. But I was so upset because they were going to delay it again. And I was in Vegas with Natalie and I'm like all depressed. And she's like, what's wrong? I was like, they just, they delayed Halo again. And she's like, she's like, what are you, she's like, why is that such a big deal? I was like, you don't understand. The best Christmases are, were when me and my brother and my cousin played Halo the entire time. And I'm like talking about this and she's like, oh my gosh, like how old were you? I was like, like 60 <laughs> like, not, like not too not old 10, to have like this like, like treasured memory right. i was like 16 years old and like ignoring my family playing video games in the basement with my brother like, right that's what happened childhood memories it just was funny because it's like this quintessential like christmas thing to me is playing halo but i was like way too old to be like establishing traditions <laughs> <laughs> but it's good you should yeah. check it out I will it's a weird it weird story okay but anyway, welcome to the Back to Basics podcast. Uh, we are excited to talk about cardiac medications today. Uh, but before we start, um, again, this is uh, the second time we're pushing this out there. So if you are listening to our podcast and you need to pass the National Registry exam or you know someone who needs to study for the National Registry exam, we obviously have our Guardian Test Prep program at guardiantestprep.com. If you listen to the podcast, we want to give you a little... A little thank you gift for listening. So if you use the code, the letter B, so it's B2B10. So the letter B, the number two, the letter B10, uh, you get 10% off our NREMT podcast uh, as a thank you. No, sorry, as our NT program, as a thank you for listening to our podcast. So check that out. Does that make sense? Yes. You, you got confused. If you want some money off of the test prep program, put in B2B10. Yeah, cool. You'd be stupid not to. That's rude. Anyway. Maybe that should be like a tagline. <laughs> You'd be stupid right. not to. Um, also, you can listen to this podcast on guardiancme.com for a free credit. You didn't say that already, right? Oh, no, not. no. So free CAPSI credit at guardiancme.com. This What's podcast? a CAPSI credit? It's a continuing education credit that'll work anywhere. So okay. if you're a current provider and you need a continuing education pro- credit, check out guardiancme.com. Watch this again. Answer a quick 10-question quiz. Print out your certificate. Your certificates now save in a special profile up by your name that says save certificates because I got like 150 emails about where are my freaking certificates. <laughs> so we figured it out. All right. All Perfect. right. Perfect. Awesome. Well, today we want to talk about cardiac medications, and we're going to keep this as back to basics as we can because pharmacology in general is difficult. I mean, it's I'm sure it's difficult for paramedics. I'm sure it's difficult for EMTs. And I would say even EMTs, like even though you don't get a lot of like pharmacology courses, obviously in EMT, you still deal with patients every day who are on tons of medicines. So like it's, it's hard, right? right? Even myself as an ER physician, it's hard to keep in track all the time. So today, because one of the major ones that we run into, especially in the emergency setting, is cardiac medications. A lot of our patients have cardiac issues. There's a bunch of different medications that work a bunch of different ways, uh, and they can affect how we treat or how our therapies work and things like that. So it's just good as a general knowledge base to kind of go over them, think about them, yeah. 
cherish them, love them. Okay, weirdo. <laughs> There's a couple like main reasons why I wanted to do this. One, I think it's a big part of initial education, but I don't think it's a big part of continued education because the thing sure. is, is you learn about how like the mechanism of action of all these different medications work in school, and then you get in the field and you're like, a tenolol, who cares? <laughs> and you put it down and you treat patients and you follow your protocol and you cookie cutter medic stuff, and that's not necessarily the best way to do things, right? Sure. So we want to know how these medications work because we need to understand how the medications that we might give them or the treatment that we might give them might affect them because they're on that medication. So if you want a brief pharmacology review, then I would check out our pharmacology basics podcast that we did. It was one mm-hmm. of our first podcasts we did. It was a pharmacology basics. We get a lot of, uh, Thanks for that one. It was a decent one. I think it kind of covers general concepts of like what a mechanism of action is, you know, what a Pharmacoked- um, pharmacokinetics versus, versus pharmacodynamics and all yep. this kind of base. Yeah. But to do just kind of briefly review how the entire body works <laughs> to, <laughs> well, to briefly review, like the general concepts that we're talking about is you just need to remember that like we don't really do anything that is original with the body. Okay. We don't, we don't introduce anything to the body that the body can't already do on its own. We play around with the mechanisms that already exist inside of the body in order to turn things up or turn things down in order to get the effects that we want. We always say, and I think we've said this for a while now, like our job as emergency providers, whether you're an EMT, a paramedic, a nurse, an ER physician, whatever it might be, is to augment and optimize what the body already does whether it's what the body does at baseline, at homeostasis, or what the body does as a compensatory mechanism, the body already does it, to your point, right? So how can we help? And I think when we take that approach, it makes the job actually make more sense. Because now you're, so I think sometimes like when you're treating a patient, you feel like you're fighting the body, right? You feel like you're fighting, like, oh, they have an infection, I have to fight that infection. Or like, oh, their heart's feeling, I have to like fight to fix it. You know what I mean? To fix it. It's like, well, no, actually what we need to do is focus in on helping and augmenting and optimizing what the body would do either to compensate for the issue or what it would do at baseline. And if we look at it that way, I think things start to fall into place a little bit more simply. It's no more like slamming on their chest and be like, damn it. Yeah. Wake up, Jim. Star Trek. Right. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So like as an example, right, like the heart can beat fast or it can beat slow. So we might give a medication that makes the heart go fast or we might give a medication that goes slow. But if we gave a medication that makes the heart go slow and now all of a sudden we want to increase the heart rate, we might have some difficulty with competing with what we've already given. Right. Or what if they're taking a medication that has their heart go a little bit slower because when it goes too fast, they jump into dysrhythmias. But now they're dead and I need to start their heart again, right? Right, So I need that heart to go fast. Maybe I want to use a different mechanism to get their heart going again as opposed to just giving a chronotropic, something that's going to make it go faster because I know they're already on this medication. So you can see how these things interact, right? Right. I can make the heart go faster. I can make it go slower. I can make it beat harder. I can make it beat less hard. I can constrict vessels. I can open vessels. But those are the only two things you can do in those situations, right? A couple ways to get there, but those are the only two things that we're doing. So if we break it down to those basics, we look at those real general concepts and we understand that ideally we can look at a medication that our that our patient's taking and go, okay, well, they take, um, for instance, aspirin, right? They take aspirin regularly. Well, what does aspirin do? Aspirin uh, doesn't really thin the blood, it's but it makes the platelets less sticky, so it makes them harder to clot. And that makes sense, right? Clots in their heart are a bad thing. Clots in their lungs are a bad thing. We want to prevent those clots by giving aspirin. Well, now if they cut themselves and they start to bleed, 
are they going to be more likely to bleed or less likely to bleed? Well, they're going to bleed more, right? Because they have trouble making clots. So now in this case, I want them to clot, mm-hmm. but they're taking a medication that does help them and keeps them alive, but it's working against me in this certain situation, right? So I might need to change my treatment or my medication administration or the way I do things to work around what we're giving them to keep them alive and healthy and working. Yeah. It gets even more complicated too, because there are medicines that we use for their primary function and there are medicines that we use for their side effects. And it's like, that's where it gets real confusing. So understanding, I think the first step is, is having a general idea of what the, when you look at a medication, like what class of medication it is and what does it generally do? But then following that up with why is the patient taking it? Because why the patient is taking sildenafil might not be for blood pressure. It could be for erections. And like, there's like a very right, different, right? Yeah. Because that's a side effect. So like things like that, we, it's still going to have the same cardiac effects, but they're not taking it for that reason. So again, just having that general understanding, I kind of ran into this. This is not cardiac related, but I was, it was uh, erection related. It was, it was erection. Let's <laughs> yeah, be honest. No, we, uh, with metformin. So I, and it was an assumption I made. We talk about assumptions in some of our, our lectures and stuff, but I was talking to a patient who wanted, it was a telemedicine visit I was doing. The patient needed to get cleared for some, some, some services. And I said, what medications are you on? She said metformin. So I assume she's diabetic. She wasn't diabetic at all. She's actually taking metformin for the side effect of like helping her get pregnant because she was having trouble with pregnancy. It was like a whole different related, what? like, cause metformin can actually help with like ovulation and certain things, but again, using it as a side effect, but she doesn't have any diabetes at all. So it's again, like just knowing generally what the medication does, but then also take it that step further and figure out why your patient's taking that. Right. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that with a lot of these medications that we're going to talk about today, like beta blockers, like you can take beta blockers for lots of different things. Beta blockers do something in general and then they have side effects that also can be utilized well. So, And we call that concept when we have like medications for primary and then medications for secondary effects and side effects. Like, So the idea of someone taking a lot of medications and those medications all interacting with one another and us having to be nuanced in how we treat. We call confusion. We, we call it polypharmacy. Or polypharmacy. <laughs> polypharmacy, <laughs> right? So we, we do want you guys to appreciate the value of like polypharmacy is something that you will work on. And that doesn't, in fact, you're probably more like to have to mess around with polypharmacy if you're just a transporter, you know, EMT that's, you know, transporting a patient from one facility to another. Like, we don't give you guys enough credit for what you do. You're dealing with a patient that has a lot of different... a lot of different medications that they're taking. They're generally healthy, but if there's a complication in the back of your ambulance, you have a lot of things that you have to work around and work with. So it is very valuable to understand that, you know, medications in combination with one another can act very differently than when they're used on their own. Yeah. And I think we, like we, I think we're getting better this, better at this in healthcare in general, but I think that we have had a tendency in the past to become very dependent on jumping to the pharmacology side of things to solve problems. And like the joke is like, you know, I take this medication to speed my heart rate up and this medication to slow it down and this medication to, it's just like we, we take all of a sudden you, you've got, if you look at someone's list and they've got medicines that contradict you, neither of them can optimize or do what they're supposed to do. And we'll talk a little bit about that today too, with some of these cardiac medications. Like there are certain cardiac medications that work better than others for certain things, but they all have somewhat of the same effect in different areas potentially. And then what happens if I'm on two of them, it just, you know, it can become difficult. So I feel like that's very heavy in the nursing field, at least in my experience is like a lot of my job is looking at these med lists and going, okay, well, 
why are they taking something that's speeding their heart rate up and slowing it down? You know what I mean? And, right, and bring right. that to the attention of the provider and go, hey, like, is there something simpler that we can do to kind of get them back on track? And because it's easy in the acute setting, too, sometimes because we're, we're just thinking acute. We're just thinking about what the problem is right now. So, like, I've had people like this is a silly example of it, but like where they like come in because they just like did a bunch of like benzos and narcotics and they're not breathing well and i give them narcan and it wakes them up and they're agitated and the nurses are like let's give them a benzo and it's like no like i mean not, not that narcan reverses benzos but at the same time like the right. whole we just reversed their respiratory depression now i'm going to give them something right, that could right. re- we have to think about that because we do have that tendency it's like well what's the problem right now what medication medication can i give right now and we don't take into consideration like oh wait what about you know x y or z so right i mean i actually had a a, a poor outcome case and this was not I think an error on the pharmacology side, it was just, there was not going to be a good outcome either way, but where a patient was on a blood thinner and then like given TPA and then an emergency, you know what I mean? And then obviously their chance of bleeding out was way worse and they did, not that there was anything else we could have done, but it's just like things like that. You just have to think about all of it, you know, Mm -hmm. to some extent. So the goal of today though, is to take, let's see, one, two, three, four, five or six categories of cardiac medications and very like high level talk about you know what they do how they're used and little new little things to look out for with them Mm -hmm. so the one i want to start with is beta blockers because beta blockers is one that i think we hear about a lot a lot of our patients are on it uh the way we use it has changed a little bit i think over the years um and again it's just you know one of the ones we run into a lot and the other ones kind of can build off of that one if that's cool so I don't know, do you want to start or do you want me to start talking about just start just start okay <laughs> yeah. all right so beta blockers the first thing we talk about with any medication is again wh- again what is their mechanism of action like what all medications are going to are, are going to act on something whether it's a receptor whether it's an enzyme something in the body it's going to act on it you can probably guess what this one acts on because it's called a beta block right so it acts on beta receptors right. and remember receptors we can typically um, activate a receptor by binding to it or we can block a receptor by binding to it and not allowing other things to bind to it. Right. Right. And that's what a beta blocker does. So it's a, what we call, and we talked about this on our, you know, if you want to go back to the terms of like competitive agonist, antagonist, things like that, beta blockers are competitive antagonists. So basically they compete for the spot on the receptor to turn it off essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. So they block the beta receptor, beta blockers. That one's nice and nice and simple there. Um, mainly what this medication is going to be used for is to block the beta receptors on the heart itself. Now there are beta receptors in other areas of your body. There are beta receptors in your bronchioles and things like that. So, but mainly what we're you, you know, again, we're going to use very blanket terms and statements here because I want to keep it as simple as we can. We're going to use this to block the beta receptors on the heart. That's what we want it to do. But remember, there's beta receptors everywhere. So when we give it, that's what we bump into side effects is that I don't really want it to act on the lungs. Right. But it's going to because I can't stop where it goes. Right. It's going everywhere. Right. And the the idea that it's competitive means that it's not going to block all of the beta receptors either. There will always be activation of beta receptors from the natural chemicals in our body that are agonists to that or uh, or that are... um, Turner honors. Yeah. yeah. I guess. <laughs> I guess right, you know, yeah, I'm just right. trying to make it simple for them. But things that will bind to that and still turn them on. But if we have more things turning them off than we have turning them on, then we'll tend to get the effect that we want. Right. So beta blockers are basically turning off the beta receptors, 
which are normally acted on on the heart by like epinephrine and norepinephrine or adrenaline and noradrenaline, you know, that type yep. of thing. So what that's the fight or flight response. Right. So we're in some ways on the specifically to the heart, we're trying to turn off the fight or flight response. Well, what happens during that fight or flight response when you need to fight someone or run away? My heart will go faster. Right. And it will be stronger. And I will always run away. No. What? (laughs) No. I mean, think about what happens when someone jumps out at you in an alley yesterday. I run away. And you. I ran away. (laughs) I like telling the whole personal story. (laughs) No. So think about what happens when you get jumped in an alley. Right. All of a sudden, your body's going to dump epinephrine. It already exists in your body. Another example of the fact that we're just helping things along, right? My lungs are going to expand more. My my airways are going to open up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to breathe so I can bring in more oxygen because I got to be ready to fight. All of my muscles are going to get, you know, I'm going to have some constriction of vessels in my peripheral um, areas so that I can have good blood flow and, and start running if I need to or punching if I need to. My heart's going to beat faster and it's going to beat stronger. Right. Exactly. So faster, stronger, harder. Work it <laughs> hard. <laughs> Just kidding. So no, but yeah. So again, we're, we're talking in general terms. Do we use beta blockers on the lungs and things like that in other versions of the medication? Yes. Today we're talking about cardiac medication. So beta blockers used for cardiac is typically for decreasing heart rate and the strength of heart contractions. So where and when are we going to use it? Right. So the main things we're going to use it for is going to be atrial fibrillation. Right. That's going to be one. We're going to use it for heart failure where we don't want the heart pumping as strongly sometimes because that causes more detriment. Now, again, that has to be balanced. Right. We can use it for hypertension, but it's not the first line treatment for hypertension. And that makes sense because it's for the most part, we're using it to uh, to to increase or increase sorry, not increase, decrease the heart rate, right, in patients whose heart rate is going up to block that, that doesn't have as strong an effect on hypertension as a whole. Now, it does because there's more to hypertension than vasodilation and vasoconstriction, but beta blockers typically work on the heart more to decrease the heart rate. So where areas we're going to see used, heart failure, hypertension, but not first line for hypertension, atrial fibrillation, and things like this. So atrial fibrillation is a fluttering in your atria, basically. Your atria are spasming. The top chambers of your heart are spasming, and your heart isn't beating um, as effectively as it could. Right. So we would give a beta blocker to slow things down in order to uh, potentially stop that spasming and therefore increase the effectiveness of your heart. Because you, you guys got to remember that just because when you're in an alley and adrenaline hits you, like more not is not always thing. better, right? right? Like more is not always better. Just because my heart's going faster doesn't mean I always want my heart going fast, right? Yeah. So slowing this heart down to remove this dysrhythmia or to treat this dysrhythmia will actually make my heart more effective because I, I'm not spasming anymore. Yeah. Another place where we see beta blockers used is after a heart attack. So to prevent a second heart attack, we use beta blockers. And that makes sense, right? If our heart attack, in a heart attack, again, part of the lack of oxygenation is not just the plaque buildup or blockage. It's the heart rate going up. It's the contraction of the heart. Like the more cardiac demand, the more 
detrimental it can possibly do. So we use beta blockers to kind of slow that down, keep that at bay so the heart doesn't overtax itself after a first heart attack. Which is why when someone's experiencing chest pain or having, we, we think they might be having a heart attack, what's one of the first things that we do even from a first aid point? We make sure that they don't overtax their body. We try mm-hmm. to calm them down because they're scared. We try to reduce their anxiety, reduce the workload on that heart so it doesn't start, it doesn't eat all the oxygen up um, and, and put the heart under stress, right? right? So think of it as like a as a stress reliever. Right. We, we okay. reduce the stress on the heart. Okay. Now, does it do lots of other things? Does it have lots of other stuff? Absolutely. Again, we're going to keep it real simple today. So beta blockers mainly being used for heart rate, okay, right? To decrease the heart rate and, and the strength of contractions in the heart so that, it, again, always, like we've talked about before, always to optimize what the body's already doing, right? We're not trying to decrease your heart rate because we don't want you to get scared and f- not be able to fight people. Like, well, we're, yeah, and and that's, like, we have to remember that, right? right? So if if you have someone on beta blockers and someone jumps in an alley, they're still going to have an epinephrine response. That'll be a competitive agonist with the beta blocker, right? So it'll start competing. It will. Your body eventually will dump enough epinephrine where you're beating out the beta blockers in your system and you still will have an increased heart rate and you'll still be able to get your lungs because it's all everything's relative so we just it's gonna have to work harder to do that Mm. so if you're ever hunting somebody maybe start feeding them beta blockers for a while and then when you jump (laughs) in the alley you'll have the five second edge that you need to stab them straight in the throat you know things like that is what we bring to the table here probably edit that out probably edit that out um right so beta blockers again heart rate they're competitive antagonists for the beta receptors one way to recognize a beta receptor is olol so o-l-o-l at the end of the medication propran olol a 10 alol when you see the O-L-O-L at the end, that's a beta blocker. So mm-hmm. an, an easy Laugh way to out loud at the fact that their heart isn't working as good. That's not... I'm just trying to think no, it's working easy better. It's for, working better because we're using beta blockers. Well, but it wasn't working good, which is why we gave them the beta blockers. Okay. All right, fair enough. Anyway, <laughs> so it's these little tricks, you know, these little tricks. So, okay, so piggybacking off of that. Now, again, is our beta receptors the only thing that increase heart rate and do... no. Right. There are there. The body has multiple mechanisms to do the same thing differently, which makes sense, because if one of your systems got knocked out, your body can still compensate. Right. Everything. So which is also why there's a bunch of different olols, right? Well, so right, like yeah. a tenolol versus propranolol, propanolol. Technically, albuterol. Metropolol. Metropolol. Yep. Yep. Al- I know. I don't do albuterol. But so albuterol is an example, technically, of a beta blocker. Right. But But we're using it. It's working on the beta receptors in the lungs to do other things. Preferentially. So, but that's why, like, like your grandpa might be on a a tenolol, and your grandma might be on carvedilol because they, as we toy with what mechanisms we're trying to achieve that slower heart rate, we might find that it's easier to attack it from kind of a different angle. Right, so like right. one drug might target a certain area better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, And that can come down to the delivery mechanism, like right. how it's metabolized. I mean, get into a well, lot and, of things like, like that. But. Example that I think that we use in our pharmacology basics is like, like Viagra and nitroglycerin were attempts to make a similar medication to expand vessels in your heart. Well, Viagra obviously expands vessels somewhere else a little bit more effectively than it does in your heart. So nitroglycerin targets the heart a little bit better. So same idea of behind the drug, right? right? 
but different uses of it because of how we found that their mechanisms work a little bit more specific. So that brings us to calcium channel blockers. So calcium channel blockers work similarly to beta blockers when it comes to what they do in terms of decreasing heart rate, maybe causing some vasodilation. But different how they do it. But different how they do it, right? It's not beta blockers. They're working on calcium channel So same overall goal. I want to reduce the heart rate and I want to reduce the contractility of the more of the vessels than the heart. So what we found is that beta blockers probably do cause some vasodilation, but not as effectively as other medications, which is why they're not the first line treatment for Hypertension. hypertension. Now they can be used because they decrease heart rate. Calcium channel blockers actually work very well as vasodilators because where the calcium receptors are on the vessels. Now they also will decrease heart rate because there's also calcium receptors on the heart itself, right? Mm-hmm. So calcium channel blockers we're going to use for things like hypertension and to de- decrease heart rate. I mean, if you think about like cardizem, cardizem or diltiazem is same same medication, but basically a calcium channel blocker that we use for atrial fibrillation. When people are on a rapid ventricular rate with atrial fibrillation, we'll give them a dose of cardizem to slow their heart rate down. It works really well that way. Now, some people go on calcium channel blockers to keep their heart rate down over a longer period of time if they're predisposed to higher heart rates, which tax the heart. But some people are on beta blockers because it depends on what works best for you. And it depends on what your comorbidities are. Where else? Maybe I want to decrease the heart rate and cause vasodilation. So I'm going to use a calcium channel blocker. Or maybe I want to decrease the heart rate, but I don't want to cause vasodilation as much, so I'm going to use a beta blocker. So again, it's kind of just knowing how these things work. Right. So calcium channel blockers. Um, again, obviously, well, it's like not really, it's not really a receptor blocker in the same way either, right? Because calcium channel blockers are working on like the cell wall. Am I right? Yeah. Right? They're they're so they're, the calcium channels in the cell wall. It's basically interrupting the function of them. Yeah. It's pres- it's pres- it still it's, binds. To things. I shouldn't say that. It still binds yeah. to things, but it's. Very different mechanism than just like binding to a receptor. It's like blocking the function of a cell. Yeah. I mean, there there are receptors and then there's like even calcium channels have receptors that make them work. Incre- yeah, increase so them just, or decrease yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Fair so, enough. Yeah. So anyway, like I said, we don't have to get that nuanced into it. But just knowing right. that calcium channel blockers themselves are going to be used. Now, again, this is why. And now I do use... When I do give calcium channel blockers to my patients that come in who are on a beta blocker and are in AFib RVR, sometimes, sometimes I'll give them more of a beta blocker, right? Mm-hmm. It depends on, you know, what medications I'm currently using or trying, and maybe I'll try to. But as a general rule, you have to be very careful having someone on both a calcium channel blocker and a beta blocker, because now you're, bo- you're really blocking both mechanisms in which they increase their heart rate and right. vasoconstrict. So you can run into a lot of trouble potentially of depressing those functions too much. And now right. we're on the other side of it. And now the heart's not functioning well because it's going too fast, because it's going too slow. Well, right? we, so, can't, we can't compete now. So if all of a sudden we have some sort of critical issue where we need to speed the heart rate up, now when I give medications to speed the heart rate up, I'm having to compete with both mechanisms. So I have to give like copious amounts of that medication. Right, right, right. It takes more time. It takes more energy as opposed to being able to subvert the mechanism that you're messing with by using another mechanism to reverse it. Right, exactly. So because calcium channel blockers and beta blockers are similar in the sense of what they do primarily, which is decrease heart rate, mm-hmm. calcium channel blockers then being also good at vasodilation, if someone's on a beta blocker, I might need to use a different medication if my goal is to treat hypertension, mm-hmm. right? 
which brings us to ACE inhibitors. Okay, so ACE inhibitors are another category. Now we're moving away from this whole receptors on the heart and receptors like now we're moving more to like the receptors in the kidney and the receptors on the vessels themselves. So ACE inhibitors, basically their main thing is not to reduce heart rate, but to relax smooth muscle to cause vasodilation. ACE stands for acetylcholinesterase. Right. Acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. So acetylcholinesterase converts angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2 in the essentially the renal system. Angiotensin 2 is a vasoconstrictor. All right. So yeah, the so enzyme that converts that. Vasoconstrictor. Yeah. So a, a lot of times what what's kind of cool, it's it's designed so that we can intervene when we want to is, is yeah. what's so neat about it is that like a lot of times there is a chain of events that has to happen. It's never like you just hit a button and that like turns on your kidneys and you hit a button and that turns off your kidneys. It's always mm-hmm. like like even when you when you think about I think closest example that you might be familiar with would be like the clotting cascade. Right. A lot of different things have to happen in order for um like fibrinogen has to uh, become fibrin. You have to have like these conversions from a chemical to a chemical to a chemical uh, using basic chemistry, right? Mm -hmm. In order to change things around, right? So with the angiotensin system, we have like an inert chemical, essentially angiotensin one that's just sitting there, but with the right combination with that and acetylcholinesterase, it becomes angiotensin 2, which is a potent vasoconstrictor. Constrictor, correct. Right, so it makes those vessels constrict And this is down. the, the going to make it a little more complicated, but the renin-angiotensin system. So renin is a essentially a enzyme or protein that the kidney basically releases. So again, we're, we moved away from kind of the electrical cardiac side and are moving to more the renal side. But to, to basically, again, treat hypertension things like that from a different angle we're moving from the cardio the cardio and cardiovascular to the vascular cardiovascular right so still the same system we're just dealing with now the tubes instead of the pump exactly so you've got angiotensin one which with ace yep acetylcholinesterase converts to angiotensin two and then that causes vasoconstriction right so an ace inhibitor blocks that enzyme from converting angiotensin one to angiotensin two which thus stops vasoconstriction and thus causes vasodilation. Right. And it does have a little bit of effect by causing that. But, but the main mechanism is that not to necessarily cause vasodilation, you got to think about it this way, but to decrease vasoconstriction. Right. Right. So that's a little bit different that way. Yeah. And that's, so, that's another that's another thing that we deal with a lot with like um, like aspirin. It doesn't thin the blood. It decreases the ability of the blood to clot, right? We can kind of play around with mechanisms. You don't necessarily have to turn something off. You can turn something on that stops things from turning on mm-hmm. and therefore turn them off. Right? <laughs> right, right, right. So like in this example, if Chris is angiotensin one, right, he's just sitting there. He's not doing anything. He's useless. And then ACE comes along. It's cocaine. And Chris on cocaine becomes like a Jason. Wait right? a second. <laughs> Jason, very potent. Does stuff, gets stuff done. He's awesome, right? So in order to prevent Chris from becoming Jason, we go to the drug dealer and we take away his cocaine and we lock him up. Okay. Okay. I don't love that example, but it works. So I'll leave it. I'll leave it for now. Um, But so again, the other thing, so another trick here is that ACE inhibitors obviously then are really good hypertensive medications. So these really have become somewhat of the first line uh, hypertensive medications. This is going to be your prills. So we talked about OLOL, OLOL for beta mm-hmm. blockers. Prill is your basically kind of... Lisinopril. Lisinopril, verapamil. Isinophil. 
No, Verapamil, Enalapril, Lisinopril. So these medications, and you see Lisinopril a lot, first line medications for hypertension in a lot of cases because they do such a good job of causing decreasing vasoconstriction and thus causing vasodilation, which decreases. I have high blood pressure because my vessels are constricting. I have a lot of pressure in my vessels because they're clogged up and I've been eating bacon my whole life, right? So instead of a doctor going, okay, let's slow the pump down by going to your heart and slowing that down, you don't really need to do that. We're dealing with a pressure issue that more has to do with the vessels. Right. Let's go ahead and give him an ACE inhibitor. We'll give him some lisinopril. That'll stop his vessels from constricting too much, and that way we can kind of stay balanced and things yeah. will flow easier. And then on the flip side, if you don't have a lot of blockages, but you have a heart that goes so fast a lot of times that's, ca- that's causing your hypertension. Your pressure's high because of that. Well, now I'm going to go to a calcium channel blocker or a beta blocker to manage that. So again, are they first-line treatment for hypertension? No, but usually because the main reason for hypertension in this day and age is actually, you know, said not necessarily the pump problem, it's yeah. you know, the other thing. So yeah, awesome. But that's what's so, I don't know, I just think it's, I, I nerd out about this stuff, but that's what I think is so cool. And that's the reason, the whole reason we teach when we when you hear us go through like like our last episode like burns and stuff like that like we'll always talk about the how it normally functions and then the pathophysiology of your specific issue and then how to treat if you start with treatment I, I, we just gave you four meds three meds that basically do the same thing right right they in terms of end goal mm-hmm. but it really depends on what your particular pathophysiology is which one we're going to use and what's going to work best right? Right, right so to say that beta blockers are just like ace inhibitors is Complete nonsense. It's not true, right, right? Right, right. But they do. We are all looking for the same thing. We're trying to reduce that yeah. blood pressure or reduce the tax. And there's multiple ways to do it. Exactly. So, system. and just like with ACE inhibitors, right? We said that angiotensin one convert it prevents angiotensin one from going to angiotensin two, because angiotensin two is a vasoconstrictor. Mm-hmm. Well, another th- medication we can use is a group called angiotensin two receptor blockers. So maybe I don't, I let ACE do its job, convert to angiotensin two, but then I just block the angiotensin two. Am I getting the exact same effect? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I'm just doing it in a different way right. now. So, so I'm and- getting drugs off the street by locking Chris up. I allowed the cocaine to come and get into Chris's system. He's now Jason and he's out there. Now we're locking Jason up. So he can't. Are we still worrying on crime? Yes. We're doing it a different way. Exactly. It depends on if you want to target the dealers or the users. Exactly. exactly. And that's why I gave that example. And now you feel a little bit like an idiot now, don't you, for making fun of it. <laughs> no, I'm still not I'm still not that into it, but that's okay. Um, so anyway, so angiotensin 2 receptor in you know, receptor blockers are another group of medications. Um examples of these, and I gotta look at my thing again because these ones, oh, the Artans. So like Losartan. There's like I think there's like I think that's the only one I know is there's Losartan. Volsartan. Like I don't know if that's true or not. It sounds like a Voltron. <laughs> it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like that a might be a transformer. I'm not 100% sure, but but the the Artans. I mean, so that's like, you see like, the big one is Losartan. So you'll see Losartan. But um, so those are angiotensin 2 receptor blockers. And again, are they operating on heart rate? No, not really. They're operating on vasoconstriction, vasodilation side of things. And remember, we're always talking about when you hear us say like the Olols and the Prills and the Artans. These are generic names. So these are like the true like chemical names of the yeah. medications, not like the trade name. So if like I'm a, I'm a company and I want to sell Losartan, I might come and call it like Low Flow or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So like that's where you bump into like, well, what is this? Why do we call it Tylenol and not acetaminophen? acetaminophen right? yeah, yeah. So acetaminophen is what it is. Tylenol is the 
trade name that the company decided to put on it. I've always found it best to, to learn the generic names. 100%. And then I'll even, even in, like someone's like, I'm on this medication. I'll just Google it and see what the, and yeah. then I see an Olol. I'm like, oh, okay. It's a beta blocker. Like, I, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So yeah. I think that's always just a, the best general rule because, because these pharmacology terms have all come from like Latin. So they do have these common right. things that you can look for, like the Olol or the Prill and it's things like that. It's crazy to me that we're still doing it with both names, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like yeah. it's just leads to confusion and right. frustration from everyone. So what's another way when we're talking about, you know, hypertension and cardiac things that we can affect is diuretics. So diuretic, there's, and I'm not going to get into, there's, there's multiple forms of diuretics. There's multiple classes of diuretics. Some are potassium sparing. Some are, I mean, so but I don't think we need to, yeah. yeah, loop diuretics versus, I don't there's like, but basically I, I group them together here because that's how you wrote it on the outline. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I group them together here because they all work somewhere within the nephron somewhere, whether it's the loop of Henle or the glomerular, like, like somewhere within that nephron, that kidney unit in order to cause diuresis, which means basically like pull fluid out and then you pee it out. A nephron is basically a, the building block of the kidney. Building block of the kidney for those of who are listening to this podcast because they want the basics, but it's called back to basics. Chris. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, okay. It's pretty basic. It works on the kidneys to make you pee a lot. Right. Think diuretics, diarrhea, a lot of fluid coming out, right? Coming out of both ends sometimes. That's not how it works, though. Call that a big <laughs> twist. <laughs> All right. So anyway, anyway, when you have diarrhea, lots of fluid coming out. When you take diuretics, you are peeing off fluid. Peeing out the fluid, peeing right? So you're, pulling, you're pulling the fluid pee. out of the vessels into the filtration system right. and then filtering it out, right? Which is why you see people who when they have like puffy hands and puffy feet from congestive heart failure. So we have pooling of, of areas and, oh, no, I'm starting to, like, swell now. My feet are swelling. Well, let me go ahead and take my Lasix or my diuretic, and I'll pee that off. I'll pee that excess fluid off. That's, right, like, right. layman's terms of describing what's happening, right? But yeah. we're reducing the overall pressure of the system and uh, taxation on the system by removing fluid, right? right. It, Which it, is interesting because we talk a lot of times about, we, we did in our last two episodes about fluid administration when like, yeah. oh, we got low blood pressure. Oh no, we got to give them fluid. We got to give them fluid to keep them alive. This is like the only time, and it's a little bit of a long, longer term medication. This is the only time where we can like pull fluid out, right? So we got to have the body this is actually, I've run into this a couple times clinically and it's one of the hardest things to, and you, there's not really, like you just kind of have to, and this is where, assessing your patient and trying different things comes in place because you, you brought up heart failure, right? So people with heart failure have a pump problem, right? The heart is not squeezing hard enough. Maybe it's not beating fast enough. So they're retaining fluids. We're trying to, so they have high blood pressure, which then congests the heart even more. So they're trying to pull that fluid off, right? A beta blocker, a calcium channel blocker, probably will not help here because we don't want to necessarily decrease the heart rate more. But but where I've run into issues is where I have people come in who have severe heart failure on diuretics and they're basically crumping on me, right? Like their blood pressure is dropping. They're, they're crumping on you? Yeah, they're, 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 like they're, the they're crashing. Not, well, not, not, they're not crumping in that way. I'm saying they're just like, they're like crashing, right? You should right? not let your patients be <laughs> crumping on you, man. <laughs> anyway, they're crashing and I don't know if it's because they need fluid or because they need fluid pulled off. Right. Because 
both can happen, right? I've had patients who were in severe heart failure who were just like crashing like crazy and they were put on BiPAP to try and all this kind of stuff and they're getting worse and worse and worse. And then I gave them a liter of fluid and all of a sudden they're doing a lot better because again, that heart, like if it's going too fast or doesn't have enough fluid, isn't going to function on one end. If it has too much fluid backing it up and causing dysfunction issue. So like, I, I like to think of it kind of like a sump pump. Right. If your sump pump is like completely empty and it's like constantly trying to drain, yeah. and it doesn't have fluid to like pull down there. You can't get a good flow. Right? right. Right. But if your sump pump is completely overflowed and every time it opens up, it tries to move some of it, but it's backed up and you're right, overflowing right. your basement's flooding. Like both are the same issue. Right? right. We have a we have a sump pump issue. It's not pumping effectively. We can't get the fluid where we want it to go. Right. right? We can't get the water but where why? we want it to go. But yeah, why? Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. It's really unique when it you're dealing with the same issue, but one's because of too much fluid and one's because of too little. Right, exactly. So it can be it can be very tricky. So again, but you know, all that to say. So diuretics again work on that kidney function side of things to pull fluid off. And again, we typically will see it in patients with heart failure used to because they have congestive heart. But something you have to keep in mind, like I said, you know, sometimes those patients can also be too dehydrated or in a shock like state that actually needs fluid. So just, mm-hmm. you know, Thinking about that and playing with that. Examples of diuretics, furosemide, spironolactone, acetazolamide. These are ones that you're going to like probably see very commonly. Furosemide is Lasix, which is mm-hmm. what, what you had mentioned. So um, so again, diuretics. So calcium beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, ACE inhibitors, angiotensin II receptor blockers, diuretics. Five categories of cardiac medications that we kind of just briefly going over like what their main functions are, how to recognize them, and things to think about when your patients are on them. The last group of cardiac medications that were kind of like move away from the whole heart rate vasodilation side of things is basically your anticoagulants and your antiplatelets, right? right. So these, we, we, we classify them in cardiac because a lot of times the risk factor is so high for a cardiac emergency right. if you don't work on. So we're preventing clots. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot in our trauma courses and our trauma podcasts about clots are good, right? Clots are a good thing. When you cut yourself, you want your body to be able to clot that clots are not good in your heart brain or lungs right because <laughs> right, right, they'll right. kill like kill you yeah if you if you block off a major vessel then you don't have any blood flow downstream of that vessel and we get into trouble right so, so antiplatelets are going to loosen up the ability prevent the ability of the stickiness they the, kind of yeah, s- prevent the ability yeah. of the clotting by making things sticky so like att- kind of attacking things at, at the source and then anticoagulants will just thin the blood as a whole mm-hmm. to make things flow a little bit smoother. So right. less viscosity. So people with who have had like heart attacks or at increased risk of heart attacks, we're obviously going to put them on, a, on an aspirin. We want to make those platelets less sticky so they don't develop more and thicker, bigger plaques. Patients with, who have like AFib where blood can pool in the atrias and things like that or who have had, you know, clotting issues in the past where they've had pulmonary embolisms or things like that, we're to put them on anticoagulants like uh i mean zeralto and what is what are some common ones we see um zeralto eliquis eliquis is one we see a lot of and these kind of things so again medications that we kind of group into cardiac because they prevent bad cardiac outcomes and you'll see in a lot of your heart patients because they're predisposed to events like heart attacks and blood clots and things like that based on their cardiac issues they're going to be on those kind of medications as well yeah so and again it, it 
making these connections is important. We're not just nerding out about like medications and what they do. Making the connections are important. There's a reason why your local protocol is probably telling you to seat collar a patient and transport them a higher priority when they're over 60 and they take a fall. Why? Because there's a higher chance that that patient is on a blood thinner. And if they fell and hit their head and they're bleeding out in their brain now, we're dealing with a stroke, you know, right, a hemorrhagic right. stroke. We're dealing with issues, you know, major internal bleeding issues as opposed to just, oh, it's a medication that makes my, my blood flow easier, right? Like yeah. they, they have these effects that we need to account for and deal with. Yeah. So and I'll end on this. I got to tell oh, you go this. Ahead, go ahead, okay? please. I thought for the longest time, I will, I will say before I was a paramedic, <laughs> thank you. definitely for after I was an EMT. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I mixed up LASIK with like the eye surgery. With LASIK surgery. Yeah, yeah, man. So all these patients are telling me like I got LASIK. I'm like, good for you. Like, Freaking, you can see. I don't know what that has to do with me. But like, you're like, this must I be an inexpensive very procedure. embarrassing part of my career. Different the things. LASIK, L-A-S-I-X versus LASIK, which is like. L-A-S-I-K. Yeah. Like one has to do with lasers in your eyes right. and one has to do with making you pee. Correct. Fun fact. Yeah, I'm glad you learned that. Hopefully, I stopped some of you who are thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Continue to think of it. Exactly. So I want to end on this is that, again, because we always, taking it back to basics, it's, it's about your assessment. It's about the questions you're asking. We talked about these medications and what they're commonly used for. One thing to, I think, always keep in your back pocket, in the back of your mind is why a patient's not on one of them. So, you know what I mean? So, like, if you have a patient who has AFib, and they're not on a calcium channel blocker or a beta blocker. Why is that? You know what I mean like I think sometimes we assume they're like, oh, they should be on that, or I'm or I'm going to use this medicine. Maybe there's a reason they're not too. I see this all the time, and the big example here is like patients with AFib who are not on a blood thinner, and you're like, oh my gosh, you need to be on a blood thinner. Well, there's some, most of the time a reason their doctor didn't put on a blood thinner because you know I don't know they fell six times in the last three months. You know what right. I mean things like that. So. Think about that, too. Not only why patients are on medications, but when you see certain disease states, why they're not. Why are they not on lisinopril? Maybe they have a crazy allergy. I mean, like allergies and things, too. Like lisinopril is one of these weird ones where you can get angioedema of the like I lips and that tongue. Happen to me. That was yeah. Horrifying. And it can happen like decades after being on the yeah. medicine. Medicine you also develop. So like, again, just as a, I just like to add that in there, like think about why patients are not on certain medications as well, because there may be reasoning behind that, which is also going to help you figure out what you're going to use or not use and other things that they might be at risk at or not based on that too. So hopefully this was helpful to you guys. Again, kind of high level going over some of these main uh, cardiac medication uh, categories and their general mechanism of action, how they work. Again, as a little bit of a refresher, as Jason pointed out at the beginning, I think sometimes from a continuing education standpoint, it's difficult to jump back into pharmacology. So hopefully yeah, we stay up on this stuff. It really makes you an effective uh, paramedic or EMT. Yeah. Really Even prepping for this, like me, go, I, I had to go back and kind of like read over things and just make sure, you know, it's good. It's really good. So again, yeah. taking that time, there's continuing education and there's repeat education. And I think sometimes continue your education, especially on the pharmacology side, because there's so much to know and so much to learn. You know, like I said, keep, keep, keep researching and keep talking about it, keep going into it. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, again, if you want CAPSI credits, go to guardiancme.com. Uh, we'd love to give you some free CAPSI credits for listening to this podcast and others. Uh, and again, if you're prepping for that national registry or know someone who is, uh, we want to thank you for listening to the podcast. So please use the code uh, B2B10. So letter B, number two, letter B, one zero uh, for 10% discount on our guardiantestprep.com uh, prep, uh, prep courses. So thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Stay sweet. 
Hey guys, thanks so much for taking a listen. Uh, if you are studying for the National Registry exam, we're here to help. We have a National Registry prep program uh, to help you pass that exam. Check us out at guardiantestprep.com. If you'd like continued education credits uh, for listening to our podcast or watching this on YouTube, follow us at guardiancme.com. 100% free CAPSI credits. Uh, no matter what state or country you're in, uh, we're here to help. So again, we thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week.